Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of July 9th through the 11th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. This week's show, we've probably got one of the highlights of the summer season with the release of the newest MCU film, Black Widow, a true test for how the box office has recovered so far post-pandemic. And as a cherry on top, we've actually got some numbers for how well it did over on Disney's premiere access. Um, I'll give my thoughts on the film, which I did see uh, at the end of the episode. But for now, let's hop straight into the domestic numbers, shall we? Uh, In first place, we, of course, have the latest film from Disney, Black Widow. It opened in 4,160 theaters to $80.3 million for a per theater average of $19,319. Now, there had been some speculation that, you know, because of this stronger-than-expected performance of uh, F9, that it could go as, as high as $100 million opening weekend, um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, still within estimates, though, but on the lower end. Um, day by day, it started off with $13 million in previews on Thursday, uh, which, again, I was one of, um, which all roll up into the 39.5 million Friday total, uh, which is actually uh, about the, the midpoint for what uh, the opening day numbers for M- the MCU's film films are. Um, right below Thor Ragnarok's 46.4 million and above Spider-Man's Far From Home's 39.2 million on a Tuesday. Granted, um, from there, uh, 39.5 million on Friday, it dropped 41% to Saturday with 23.3 million, and then dropped another 25% to Sunday for 17.5 million. So definitely a little bit more front-loaded on the weekend that, you know, the, the typical um, comic book fans coming out, you know, to see it first thing uh, Thursday and Friday. Um, but perhaps the general audience didn't really come out as much uh, over the weekend. I know it was raining here in New York, which might have delayed, deterred some people from seeing from going to see it. But um, otherwise, you know, it, it might be that, you know, Premier Access was part of it. But, you know, uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, from a comparison point of view, this is definitely uh, in the bottom half of MCU films. You know, of the more recent films, you know, not including like the film like The Incredible Hulk, of the more recent films, it's, o- it's only outdone both Ant-Man films opening weekend and comes in a little bit below Doctor Strange and Thor's 2's $85 million opening number. Um, now, the Black Panther and uh, Far From Home Aside, who had ve- very good uh, multipliers, most Marvel films end up having a multiplier in the 2.5 to 3x range, um, g- generally around like 2.6, 2.8 or so. Um, that would put this film's domestic range somewhere in the 200 to $240 million range, which, again, respectable, all things considered. Uh, one of those things considered is, of course, the premiere axis of Black Widow on Disney+. Plus. Um, and a bit rare of bragging from Disney, uh, they actually released their internal numbers for how much Black Widow made from Premier Access over this weekend. According to them, globally, Black Widow made 60 million U.S. dollars, uh, reportedly skewed towards more domestic viewers. Um, the numbers from um, from uh, Samba TV suggest, you know, perhaps maybe 33 million dollars uh, domestically. So, you know, that begs the question: How would the film have done if it not? come out on Premiere Access this weekend. And so they continue doing this. Um, I think your perspective on whether or not Disney continues with the model or should continue with the model comes down to if you're a glass half full or glass half empty kind of person. On one hand, it made $80 million despite being on Disney+. Plus, So presumably could have gone a lot higher. You know, it ended up making, you know, if Asama TV is correct, maybe, you know, all told, um, 111, like something like $113 million uh, this weekend, which would definitely have been, you know, it, we could have gotten over that $100 million mark um, if only people who had seen it on Premier Access had seen it, you know, in theaters. Um, so, you know, 
they, by that logic, Disney should abolish premier access to not cannibalize themselves. Um, the argument, the other argument though, is that it made eighty. It still made eighty million dollars despite being on Disney Plus. Um, kind of sticking in life with the industry estimates, albeit on the lower side. So you know, the presence of the film being on Disney Plus doesn't seem to really hurt it being its, its theatrical take, um, at least opening weekend. And, you know, you likely would get people who maybe could not or would not go see the film in theaters yet. Perhaps families who, you know, if they have like, you know, three or four kids don't want to, you know, pay, you know, 15 to $20 per person for four when they could just pay $30 and see it however many times they want it. Um, or even more simply, those who don't want to have their uh, kids under 11 or 12, uh, under 12 years old who can't yet be vaccinated go out to theaters yet. Um, another factor to consider is, of course, that Disney does get to keep, pretty much keep all of its revenue that comes from Disney+, Plus, while they only get about, say, 60% of the domestic take from exhibition. Uh, going, you know, again, going with $33 million uh, from Samba TV for Premier Access um, for, for Black Widow, this weekend Disney made $60 million in exhibition, which take-home would actually be, be closer uh, to $48 million, $48 million from exhibition. Um, so if you combine that with the $33 million they made, um, you know, that's somewhere in like the maybe $81 million total. Now, if all 113 had been, um, had been, um, what's it, uh, had been had been theatrical and they got got to keep uh, 60 percent of that. Um, that means that you know, they would have made only sixty seven point eight million dollars. Um, so you know you can see from that logic why Disney wants to you know would want to pay maybe keep Premier Access if it would allow them to have a larger share of the number of people who would uh, you know see it in the who uh, then compared to people who would see it in theaters. I'm going to keep more of the Disney Plus numbers. Um, so yeah. There's even anecdotal evidence I've heard from some people that they gone seeing Black Widow in theaters, uh, maybe to support the local cinema, maybe because they wanted to see it on the big screen. But afterwards, they wanted to see it again. They buy on Disney Plus Premier Access then. So essentially, Disney's double dipping with those consumers there. Um, now, the real test of this will be how Premier Access impacts Black Widow's legs and also ancillary uh, revenue, which we're not going to get ancillary revenues probably, but the legs will be something we can measure. MCU films, again, Endgame and Infinity War aside, um, generally have had drops in the 55% range on average, again, correlating to that 2.6, 2.8x uh, multiplier. We only have much perspective on how Premier Access really impacts uh, week-over-week drops, since the only real data point is Ryan Last Dragon, which is a kid's film has freakishly huge legs, and I guess Cruella, which did okay, I guess, drop-wise. Um, but that's only a couple of data points, as opposed to, you know, HBO Max films have had much steeper drops than you'd expect from pre-pandemic. Um, so, and again, we also don't know here how it being a larger film like Black Widow might impact that, right? Is it more front-loaded? Um, so, so, you know, if if you make the case that, you know, uh, you know, people that people end up dropping off from Black Widow, right? Like they made 30, they made 33 million dollars uh, domestically this weekend. Will they get will they will they have a similar uh, if they drop 55 percent in theaters week over week? Will they also get uh, you know a, a fifty a fifty five percent drop uh, in the take home revenue right from from Disney Plus? Will that thirty three million dollars this week be you know fifteen million fifteen million dollars next week? I don't think so. Based off of you know what we've seen from Mulan or from other places, uh, the 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 week over week drop for Premier Access uh, revenue drops like a cliff, um, sinks like a stone. So um, it could be right that you know it may that 
essentially they're trading up having a higher upfront number from Premier Access at the cost of having smaller long tail revenue. Um, and we're not really sure how the balance of that will come out until we actually see the numbers come out in the end. But if it ends up being, you know, maybe like, you know, maybe like 10% less over the entire run, that might not be such a great thing. Um, but then again, if the Premier Access ends up being, you know, this X percent more than they would have gotten on the opening weekend, which is where the majority of revenue comes in, it might not matter. Um, and you know the another part you know of premiering on Disney Plus is that it makes pirated copies of the film more freely available, which granted doesn't really impact as much domestic numbers, but will definitely have more of an impact in China and Southeast Asia where the film has not come out yet, um, and where piracy is definitely much more of an issue. I mean, um, in China, right? Like it's already being reviewed on Duban, which is one of the movie review sites, but has a six point seven by the way below what uh, Captain Marvel made, um, with twenty four thousand ratings. So you know. We'll see how Black Widow does over the long run, not only domestically, but also internationally, especially in China. Um, that being said, we do have some early numbers from those international markets, at least this first weekend. Uh, in 46 territories, Black Widow has made $79 million, which in addition to $80 million domestic, plus the, you know, uh, make, put at $159 million in exhibition, plus the other $80 million, uh, 60, sorry, $60 million from Disney Plus worldwide, puts it at a $219 million global launch. Um, now, the 159 exhibition number does beat out the estimates of $140 million um, that people have going into the weekend for for uh, opening weekend worldwide. Um, I suspect that they wanted to push that you know 219 number though, um, just to say, oh, we have a film making more than 200 million dollars uh, opening weekend. Anyway, aside from the U.S., the top markets uh, for Black Widow were Korea, 12.7 million dollars; the U.K., 9.7 million; France, 6.9 million; Mexico, 5.3 million dollars; and Russia with 3.9 million dollars. Uh, much of Southeast Asia again is close to the pandemic. Um, perhaps though, that might be another case for Premier Access at least. Uh, in the short term with the pandemic still around. So that number is definitely lower than it could have been otherwise. Um, it also had to compete against the various games for the Euros and the, I think Copa Americana, uh, some soccer tournaments going on as well. That's definitely taking some attention away from the film. Um, also, notably in Japan, Black Widow hasn't even crossed uh, 600,000 US dollars, coming in second behind the Japanese live action adaptation of the manga Tokyo Revengers. Part of this is due to Marvel just inherently not being as big a thing over there. Um, again, this is the region where Detective Conan beat the Endgame, um, partly due to some Japanese cinemas bla uh, blacklisting um, or limiting how much they end up showing the film in protest of the day and date release, which, while maybe not impacting Black Widow so much, could might definitely be a problem for um, you know Disney since Japan is one of the bigger uh, markets for animated films, such as later on in this year, Encanto. Um, and also, you know, this this low number is also partly due to being in a state of emergency in Japan due to the pandemic, um, which is why there aren't any spectators at the Olympics this year. Uh, so yeah, anyway, in all, all in sort, to sum up Black Widow, pretty much they hit the forecast for the opening weekend domestically post-pandemic, um, but hasn't, and it has definitely broken some records, but hasn't yet broken that $100 million mark domestically. Premier Access data is definitely interesting to look at and think about, but ultimately it's too early to see the full impact um, until it completes its run, and we see a better sense for how the legs and how the international take have been affected.
So with all that for Black Widow, moving on to the rest of the top five. Uh, in number two, we have F9 in its third weekend, dropping 50% to $11.4 million in 3,649 theaters per theater average of $3,134. Domestic take six at $141.8 million. Um, abroad, it's made for, it's, it has crossed the $400 million mark um, and now sits at $542 million worldwide. Uh, in third place, Boss Baby 2 comes in with $8.8 million in 3,688 theaters, per theater average of $2,407, second week uh, over week drop of 45%. Domestic total sits at $34.9 million, with another 2.9 abroad, bringing it to $37.8 million. In fourth place, The Forever Purge dropped 43% in its second weekend to $7.1 million in 3,058 theaters, a 2,336 per theater average. Domestic total sits at $27.8 million, $7.5 million abroad brings its total to $35.3 million. And then running out of the top five, A Quiet Place 2 drops 23% in three point, uh, to $3.1 million in 2,359 theaters, a 1,338 per theater average. That brings its domestic total to just north of $150 million, the first film to do so post-pandemic. And with $98 million abroad, its lifetime total is now $248 million. Outside the top five, some pretty interesting things to note. Uh, in sixth place, Cruella dropped only 1% week over week, uh, which is pretty nuts. So far, it's made $80 million domestically. And then we also have indie film Summertime, which I think released at Sundance last year or the year before. Had a pretty pretty great release from Good Deed Entertainment. Only $18,000, but that was between two theaters. So a per theater average of $9,327, the highest aside from Black Widow this week. Uh, overall, total box office this week crossed $100 million for the first time post-pandemic with $119 million total. Uh, coming up this week, we have three big films coming out. The first is and biggest is Warner's Space Jam, A New Legacy, starring LeBron James. Uh, this one's going to be an HBO Max simultaneous release and, eight, and box office pros. Has its opening to somewhere in the $15 to $30 million range. That's going to be a pretty interesting race just to see who actually takes the top spot next weekend. Uh, if Black Widow drops 55%, from its current $80 million take. Um, it'll be at $36 million, which, unless Space Jam overperforms expectations, um, will put Space Jam 2 in second place. Um, in addition to Space Jam, we have Sony Pictures Escape Room 2, Tournament of Champions, forecasted to come to $11 to $16 million. And we also have a documentary from Focus Features about the late Anthony Bourdain entitled Roadrunner. Uh, no forecast here yet from box office pros. Uh, internationally, again, much of the attention was on Black Widow this weekend, but some other films had their own time to sign. Uh, Peter Rabbit 2 topped $100 million internationally with about $38 million domestically. And then Guy Ritchie's Jason Statham film Wrath of Man that came out earlier this year has hit $100 million globally, $72 million of that from abroad, which is the biggest opening uh, for a Hollywood indie film. Um, at least for 2021. Also, bizarrely, uh, The Croods 2 debuted, that's right, debuted in a couple of European markets over eight months since its initial release, so hella long legs there. Uh, and meanwhile, in contrast, In the Heights hasn't even made $40 million across all markets uh, with its domestic, with, it, with its production budget being $55 million, so I think safe to say it called this one a flop, at least uh, financially. 
Aside from all that, uh, we have the Cannes Film Festival continuing over in France with good reviews from Annette and the French Dispatch, among others, including their first ever IMAX screen. Uh, speaking of France, Dune got a new release date for September 15th over there, over a month ahead of the US release. And we also got a trailer from Warner in Japan with a local debut date of October 15th over there, a week before the US HBO Max simultaneous release. Now, over in Taiwan, after lockdown, as the virus surged there as of late, it looks like they're going to be reopening theaters as of Tuesday. This episode comes out. And we also have a report from PricewaterhouseCooper uh, with an analysis showing that it won't be until 2024 when we have hit when we hit $4.42 billion at the box office, um, you know, which will be considered to be a fully recovered box office compared to what it was made in 2019, um, partly due to the asymmetrical recovery among different regions from the pandemic. Uh, speaking of different regions, let's look at the Chinese box office. It has all domestic films in the top five. In first place, we have a drama entitled Chinese Doctors, making $53 million uh, in its opening weekend. In second place, last week's lead film, Nationalist Film 1921, made $6.7 million for a total of $63.8 million so far. In third place, animated film New Happy Dad and Son, number four, uh, which is the fourth film apparently in this franchise, uh, debuted at the $6.6 million. Uh, in fourth place, action adventure film Realm of Terracotta made $5 million. And then in fifth place, nationalist film Revolutionaries dropped 80% in its second weekend to $1.7 million US dollars for a running total of $17 million. Now, it's expanding. This expected that there's a soft freeze on foreign films coming in for July, so don't expect to see Black Widow till August. Um, that being said, Peter Rabbit 2 did wrap up its run in China this weekend uh, with $30 million all told after a month. Now, before I get to my review of Black Widow to end the show, let's go through some loose headlines I couldn't really put anywhere else. Uh, for a long time, Universal's movies have come to HBO Max. HBO, not HBO Max, um, after being in theaters as part of a post-theatrical distribution deal. With that deal ending this year, Universal is going to bring their films in-house. Kind of. Uh, they'll be exclusively on Peacock for at least four months post-theatrical run, as well as uh, for months 14 through 18 post-theatrical one. For months 4 through 10, uh, sorry, 4 through 14, the 10 months in between, um, they'll be licensing their films out elsewhere, TBD. Um, meanwhile, uh, DC and Marvel are set to skip San Diego Comic-Con at home this year. Um, on a side note, though, I did get my tickets for New York Comic-Con in October, um, the weekend that No Time to Die comes out, so definitely going to be looking forward to that. Uh, and speaking of DC, it looks like the Suicide Squad is going to have a Thursday night previews on August 5th ahead of the August 6th release, both on HBO Max and in theaters, which I believe is the first time for an HBO Max day and date release to have a, a preview day. Um, and then a report from the Morning Console suggests that 55% of U.S. adults are comfortable going back to the, to the movies, uh, with millennials and Gen Zers being in the 63% range of comfort. Uh, similarly, Comscore has a report saying that 90% of all movie theaters are now open worldwide, with France and Europe slowly reopening. There's also a bunch of streaming metrics from Net Nielsen and Samba TV, which I can report on, but I'm not going to because of time. That being said, there was an interesting news that Bo Burnham's uh, comedy special Inside um, is actually going to be coming, which came out on Netflix, is actually going to have a one-day engagement in theaters on July 22nd. Now, I'm not sure how well that will translate. You know, it, it, felt like, it feels like it's a very intimate performance um, that is really well, you know, 
experience, you know, kind of at home. Um, but it's still cool to see Netflix experimenting more with theatrical releases. Uh, we'll see if that, you know, A-lister film, Red Notice, um, coming out November 12th with The Rock, Gal Gadot, and Ryan Reynolds, gets a similar theatrical release treatment such as uh, um, Army of the Dead from Zack Snyder. Now, I normally don't keep track of when films end their runs, but the box office subreddit had a couple of posts, so I figured I'd highlight some of them. Uh, first off, Mortal Kombat, uh, which came out in March, um, ended its domestic run with $42 million after uh, nine weeks, oh, sorry, in April, um, with an opening weekend of $23.3 million for a multiplier of 1.81, which is a very terrible multiplier, one of the worst. Um, it's made $83 million worldwide, so a bit ahead of the $55 million production budget, not counting for advertising. Uh, and the second film to go over, Spiral, the latest entry in the Saw franchise, ends its run at $23.2 million in eight weeks. The lows of the franchise um, opening weekend was $8.7 million, so just about a 2.65 multiplier. Um, not great, but also not as bad as Mortal Kombat. Production budget was $20 million, and with $35.1 million made worldwide, I think this one's probably going to break even, uh, perhaps. Um, and, you know, finally, one last one last headline before I get to my movie reviews. Uh, this is kind of, we'll have to wait to see how this pans out, but the Biden administration signed an executive order for a stronger antitrust oversight of mergers between big business. I'm sure this is more targeted toward big tech in general, you know, Apple, Google, and, and Netflix, and so on. But this definitely impacts the upcoming Amazon and MGM acquisition, um, Amazon probably being one of their favorite targets, as well as the Discovery Warner merger that is set to happen. Um, in any case, you know, let's wrap up my thoughts with my episode. Th- my thoughts on Black Widow. Uh, like I said, I saw it Thursday night at my local AMC. Uh, there were definitely more people in in the theater than I had seen all year so far, though it wasn't packed to the brim. I think the best way to say it was that there were enough people that I wanted to move my seat because the people who ended up sitting in front of me were too tall. Um, that being said. Um, I was able to move to avoid being blocked uh, down my aisle, you know, to a couple seats over without getting in anyone's way, while blocking anyone or sitting in someone else's seat. So it was full enough I had to move, but also full enough that I could move. Um, in any case, as far as the film itself goes, um, I get, you know, not not really too many spoilers here, but I guess, you know, it, the big headline is pretty much a Marvel movie of the military action variety, similar to the various Captain America films. Uh, Florence Pugh uh, probably was the best part of the film uh, in both her individual acting as Yelena, as well as her chemistry with Scarlett Johansson, um, and that's, if it's in that snarky Marvel one-liner snip kind of way. Um, Dave Harbour as the Red Guardian was, I think, really great, if a little bit underutilized dramatically as a serious character, and mostly being reduced to comic relief. Uh, the antagonist character of the Taskmaster was also very well done, uh, with a twist as to who their identity was behind the mask actually taking actually surprising me. Um, more importantly, though, I think what the Taskmaster represents is that it had, they did a really great job um, highlighting all the work that the MCU stunt choreography team has done over the decades to give a unique signature fighting style to each of their characters so that when Taskmaster replicates Captain America or Black Panther or Hawkeye or Spider-Man or Winter Soldier, without them saying, oh, wait, no, you're fighting like Cap, like, you 
basically can just you can see and you know what they're doing basically um so you know, I, I think that was really well done on their end other than that though the action sequences particularly in the third act in the villain's uh, secret lair definitely felt very generic very felt you know uh, been there done that uh, with what we've seen from the mcu overall well executed for sure but kind of unimaginative and you know as far as the story goes i get what they were trying to do here i think you know for those who don't know before kevin faggy took over and reported directly to uh, alan horn uh, he reported up to ike perlmutter of who's the head of marvel who reportedly was kind of controversially very behind when it came to setting up films about minorities both recently such as black panther as well as those based with with female leads such as captain marvel which is why despite black widow being in the mcu for 10 years at this point um that you know we're just getting her story now so to that end they definitely inserted i think a bunch of the you know a uh, whole girl power vibe uh, kind of in you know i think you know scarlett johansson is, is co-producing this film um and, and most of the male characters in the film are kind of buffoons or in the case of the main villain a bit of a creep um that being said i'm not sure what they're trying to say with that theme beyond that hey we're a bunch of boss bitches here um and theme society you know i i get for fans of black widow as a character this is long overdue right and we're definitely getting to fill in the blanks of what had been hinted at about budapest and more but that kind of wasn't a very Han Solo... That, that kind of feels like a thing that you want to do with like a Han Solo film, which isn't the best Star Wars film out there. Um, and, you know, in a sense, because the film is set after Civil War, but before Infinity War, it's really hard to get super invested in the character development for Natasha, knowing that her story will ultimately end in Endgame. And I don't really feel this added anything we didn't already know or could infer about Scarlett Johansson or about Natasha's character and where she came from in within the MCU. So, you know, it didn't really push anything further. Um, and, you know, I guess for diehard fans, you know, great for them that they're finally able to see her have her own standalone film. But otherwise, kind of a, you know, almost like a filler episode or in anime terms, like an OVA. That didn't need to happen. Nice that it happened, but it didn't need to put, it didn't need to happen to be crucial to the plot. And, you know, with the post-credit stinger, I won't give, again, no details, no spoilers here, but basically, it's a big ad, not even for the next main narrative film for the MCU, but their next Disney Plus TV series about Hawkeye. So, you know, overall, I give the film a three out of five, you know, definitely, in, definitely like a fun time to go in theaters. Um, you know, it, it definitely was fun to catch the MCU film in theaters opening night with other fans. Can't wait to do that with Sang-Chi and the Eternals later this year in the same way. But also, it doesn't really do anything beyond what the what the what the franchise has already done. It doesn't really push anything new, and in the same way, it doesn't really it doesn't really add anything to the franchise in terms of narratively. Um, that's that's super important, except for maybe you know really introducing who Yelena, uh, who Florence Pugh's characters of Yelena is. And also a quick bonus uh, review. Um, so this past Saturday, me and my wife actually went to a drive-in theater here in New York uh, where you can actually just walk in if you wanted to. Um, it's called the, the Skyline Drive-In Theaters in, Queen, in, in Queens, or no, in Brooklyn, um, kind of like on the border between the two. And it's basically on the water. Uh, hence, and so you can see across the Hudson River to the, uh, to the skyline of New York, hence the name. Um, we went to see actually Top Gun, which I'd never seen before, but I wanted to see it kind of before Top Gun Maverick comes out later 
this year. Um, we did kind of get rained out a little bit, you know, about maybe 10 minutes into the film. Luckily, there was a place where we could like hide under a roof to watch, um, albeit through some glass, but still fun, uh, you know, to catch the film. I will say probably about 80 to 90% of my enjoyment of the film really just came from like the 80s soundtrack uh, that was being used throughout Top Gun. Um, you know, very much like a machismo uh, film of the 80s, but, you know, kind of like a, uh, kind of just like a, some, a, a, a Tom Cruise action film. So we'll, we'll see how, how uh, Top Gun Maverick ends up uh, doing later this year. And with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Suit me ideas for what else I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zeno.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe or leave a review. At the very least, tell a friend that any of that helps us out. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, let me make not only this show, but all the other podcasts I work on. Links to all of that in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Intro and outro music from Kevin MacLeod at incompetent.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watts. And remember, our watch goes on. Yeah.